how true is it that managers haven't seen the event that they're just about to be asked about? <laughs> Mostly untrue. Yeah, I think, you know, money doesn't buy you the ability to, you know, not be affected by negative comment. Money doesn't buy you the ability to... And they say, we've completely dominated the game. And you look at it and you go, you know that's a lie. I know that's a lie. I can't say all the players are always on your side all the time. So when some of them end up getting an absolute roasting, you're kind of internally going, yeah, give him more. <laughs> <laughs> That's for messing my warm-up up last week. Messing my warm-up. Welcome, football fans, to Breaking Lines, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the beautiful game like never before. I'm Gary Rowett, former player and manager, joined by the insightful Dave Carolan, a man with his finger on the pulse of football's beating heart. Ever wonder what goes on in the mind of a football manager? Look no further. Breaking Lines is your VIP pass into the often misunderstood realm of football management. Together, Dave and I bring you unrivaled insight, context and a few stories from the trenches, revealing the strategic manoeuvres, tactical brilliance and sometimes the chaos that unfolds behind the scenes. So whether you're a die-hard supporter or a casual observer, join us as we dissect the game, break down the plays and explore the intricate dance between managers, players, fans and the beautiful game itself. Get ready to go beyond the scorelines and dive into the fascinating world of football management. This is Breaking Lines, where the game is more than just a match. It's a chessboard and the managers are the maestros. Some really interesting news out of the rugby world this week where Owen Farrell has essentially taken himself out of the England Six Nations squad, um, choosing to concentrate on himself and his family after what's been a particularly challenging time probably for himself and his family with potentially the abuse that he had been getting as England captain as an England player getting sent off before the World Cup and potentially for things that, that that went on around the World Cup. And then we've also seen an official choose also to withdraw themselves from that competition as well for, for similar types of reasons. Is this pointing to an increase in this type of pressure and stress or even abuse that's coming towards players, managers, coaches, officials? Well, I think if you look at high-level sport, high level professional sport, elite sport, you know, at the top of top end of the game. Not necessarily always the top end of the game. You hear about referees at grassroots level being abused, you know, and some of the stories are quite quite worrying, aren't they? The the the, the trend that seems to be developing. But certainly at the top end of a sport, I think, which is what we're talking about, um, you know, with, with with England rugby. And I think the pressure, you know, it's always hard, isn't it? Because we're all in a privileged position to be doing something that we love to do. And and of course, most of us would never want to make out that it's so much harder than someone who's got to pay a mortgage, who has three jobs, you know what I mean? Or has got a struggling to feed their kids. You know, so there's so many other scenarios that are, that, that appear to be much more problematic than, than being in professional sport and earning a very good living and, and being paid a lot of money to do what you love. But the pressures are starting to get bigger and bigger, aren't they? You know, with a with the sort of you know the introduction of social media over the years, um, with the way that people communicate at times on social media, with players having to utilise social media to try and build that connection with the fans, 
in a genuine way that then almost gives people a portal to to abuse players and their families. And I think that's the that that's the important part as well, isn't it? It's not just the player or the referee or whoever it is or the coach or the manager. It's often the families as well. Uh, and I think that's the bit that people probably don't appreciate. You know, uh, you know, I've had it previously where your kids are getting abused on social media and they've got to go to school, you know, and they're getting abused at school just because of a job that their dad does or the result that their dad's had at the weekend. And, and that's a big pressure to put on a, a, a child, isn't it? So I, I would think it seems to be the Owen Farrell situation seems to be alluding to a lot around his family. And, and I would imagine, you know, as captain of England's rugby union team entering into a World Cup, I'd imagine there's no bigger pressure than, than that situation or, or no bigger opportunity to receive hate um, in that way. And it, it, it's worrying. I think it's a worrying trend that this is starting to become a little bit more of a norm, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's it's, it's diff- difficult times for those for those people involved. I suppose if if you are a top player, a top athlete, manager, coach, or whatever, yes, of course, the players are expected to give fan access because certainly you can use that to to your benefit in terms of showing the fans how much you care, engaging with them, giving them similar to what we're doing here insight into into that world that loads of people of course would lo- love to in some way swap places with you you know to be a top athlete to be a top player and yet at the same time there's another section of that fandom that will use that where they feel you know justified in their emotions after a game or something's happened to feel that they can just unload directly to that person without filter, without anybody stepping in the way of them or controlling them, because we don't even see necessarily the social media companies acting on this abuse and in banning people in, in controlling what they're able to say to these to these guys. Is, is that become a kind of double-edged sword as such for the players, that they can positively interact with all of the fans, but also the payoff for that is potentially getting this negative kind of abuse or feedback or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I think the first thing is I think most players engage in that sort of thing because they want to, they want to create a relationship with the fans. You know, they want to create that openness. You know, you see a lot of players giving away the shirts, giving away boots to fans. So doing it for a lot of good reasons. And I think the flip side to that comes with, you know, how do you compartmentalise that where you can you can interact with the fans, but you you don't want to read all the comments after games. You don't want to read all the comments along the along the way during the week. Because I think most players, whether they whether they're honest or not, they might say, Yeah, I don't really I don't really take much notice of the comments. They do. A lot of them do. A lot of them it's yeah, impossible. Yeah. In my opinion, it's impossible to read and I and I've done it at the earliest stages of my managerial career. It's impossible not to read comments and not let it affect you, not let it just seep into your psyche a little bit, not let it feel negative. Because the challenge you get is, I would say a ratio of probably 10 to 1, you know, 10, well, maybe not quite so much, but maybe, maybe let's, let's, let's say 8 to 1, 8 for every one positive comment, there's probably 8 negative comments. It's, it's far easier for people to, spout negativity and be critical 
particularly when they're not in front of you face to face. I mean, most fans, certainly in my experience, I've had great interactions with fans out in the public domain. You know, most people, even if you don't agree with what they say, or even if they don't agree with how you're doing your job or managing, most of them are courteous. Most of them you have a, a conversation with and, and it's a real two-way thing and there's respect there. I mean, the problem with social media and the challenge with social media, of course, you can more or less say what you want, can't you? You know, but there is an element of freedom of speech that the social media companies don't want to negate. You know, that, that was one of the reasons for social media, wasn't it? So it is a difficult time. It's a difficult pressure. I mean, you might be prepared as a manager or as a player, but are your family prepared? You know, if you've got an eight-year-old child who's reading all these comments, you know, you, we, we know how damaging that is from a mental health perspective and, and it's dangerous. I mean, it's, you know, it, it's a really, really tough when you hear some of the stories that people don't expect, you know, money doesn't buy you the ability to, you know, not be affected by a negative comment. Money doesn't buy you the ability to be able to protect your family from, you know, things that affect the way they think and, and the way they feel negatively. So in fact, so, a lot of the time it is the the earnings that athletes are making that make them the subject of this, isn't it? You know, like you're a highly paid player, you know, like he's getting paid X amount a week. You know, he should be able to do better as if the pay packet gives you as such the right now to be open to abuse. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's not a super, Superman costume, is it, where you can put it on and because you're paid a lot of money that everything bounces off you. You know, I think I think these these have recently highlighted, certainly in the public domain, how, you know, how normal and how human people in the professional game are, whether that's players, whether that's referees. Um, you know, in particular referees, if you think about the amount of vitriol and abuse referees are getting at the moment, you just think about that from a trying to manage your emotions and trying to manage your, your well-being on the back of you've made, you know, you're a referee and you've maybe made a couple of mistakes in a game that have, that have cost the team the game, essentially. The outcry and the overspill, I'd imagine, on social media as well as in the media at the moment, you imagine being that one person waking up to, you know, 50,000 reports and comments about, something you probably entered into because you love the game. You maybe don't play the game, but you love the game and you want to be involved in it. And it is a, it is a dangerous precedent at the moment. You know, where, where, does it, where does it end? Because we've also seen, you know, fans running onto the pitch. You know, the Eddie Howe incident where a fan literally, took, you know, got, got almost to a position where he could have done anything to him. Yeah. Um, you know, we've seen the same with referees, haven't we? And, and you know, I think that's a, that's, that's a worry for me, how long before somebody... You know, actually, physically attacks. We we want players and coaches and managers to be accessible, don't we? We want to hear the thoughts. We want them to be able to give us the feedback. As as you say, like some of the great work that happens with clubs, um, where they're they're interacting with the community, they're supporting causes, they're raising a lot of money f through philanthropic. That's the correct word. Um, methods in order to highlight causes and 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 raise funds and sponsorship. Yet, I suppose we're always going to have that element of society to just feel like, I, I feel I've got the right, I've paid my money, I'm going to make my choice and my choice is I'm going to let that player know directly because I have a method now. 
I can just let them know what I think. And and that's not always fair on the player. And certainly it's not fair on their families, you know. And and it's not that it's always directed at their families, you know, onto their social media accounts. It's the families and friends reading the comments about the person and then innocently maybe commenting back to them and suddenly you're getting it secondhand or thirdhand. You might choose to ignore it, but in a dressing room, the lads or the other teammates might be saying, oh, did you see X or Y? Or the club's media are bringing it to you to say, look, we're aware of whatever. So suddenly something that you've chosen to take no part of is now being brought to your attention and suddenly there's additional pressure, additional stress that you never asked for. No, and I think, look, I think the first thing we've got to say is that, you know, you're talking about a very, very small minority of, of fans, you know what I mean? Like most of the fans go to the game to get behind their team, <clears throat> to support the team. Of course, they're not happy if they see a poor performance, but I think most of them will show in a pretty respectful way. You're talking about a very, very small minority. And we've had players in the past that actually have been affected by comments on social media. Their actual form has been affected. And that's a very difficult scenario, isn't it? Because you've then got to think about the mental well-being of the player. You've got to make sure that he's not putting himself in a position that actually is going to affect his health as a person, first and foremost. But we've certainly seen it affecting players' form massively because players do listen and, and, and do take on board comments and are, are affected by those comments. Everyone wants nice things said about them. Everyone wants to be you know, championed for what they do for a living. But as we know, that's not always the case. You know, I think, yeah, most, most, I think, you know, mostly on social media, those things are just the norm now, unfortunately. But, you know, I've also had it outside games. You know, I've had fans come up to you and, you know, not very often, probably only two or three times over a 10-year period, but will abuse you to your face outside the game and, and, and I think there is this there is this feeling that because you're the manager or because you're a player of that team, then that is fair game, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. It's it's my right as a as a fan who's paid my money to go to the game to be able to abuse that person. And sometimes when you talk to those people or when you give them a bit back potentially, like they're usually all right. It's usually fine. But again, sometimes this is a worrying trend that's happening, and and um, you know, mostly my family, by the way. That that was, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't fans. It was usually my, usually my old man. So, but yeah, it is a worrying trend, isn't it, around the game? And um, you know, I think there's a conscious effort by by the organisations to try to help players because well, we, we've seen these player care roles now starting to come in, which which of course are all encompassing. It's not just about mental health around you know social media, but they help players in lots and lots of different ways cope with, I suppose, not all of them are the stresses of modern life, but when players come into clubs, you know, they help them with accommodation and transport. But more frequently now, they're always having to deal with this kind of depressurization and helping players cope with these types of stresses. And I suppose this movement towards creating player care roles at least helps the players know that there's something internal within the club that's going to help them manage that. And player care uh, professionals, along with the club's media team, can at least start to help in some ways. They're not going to eradicate everything, you know, because there's going to be a lot of hours during the day where the athlete may be on their own or the coach may be on their own. And now it's it's what they decide to whether they're going to engage with social media or not. And 
I think it would be terrible for the game if we suddenly start seeing more players almost having to withdraw from doing the thing that they love to do and that we love to see them do because they just not can't cope with it, but they're just being expected to deal with all of this stuff unfiltered and carry on regardless. Well, I think it's only a matter of time, isn't it, before you know this seeps into football in terms of a player has to have, I'm sure it's probably happened. I imagine most clubs have had to perhaps term it in a different way or say the players maybe got an injury or I'm sure that's, that 100% will have happened where yes. the player, you know, from a, from a mental wellbeing perspective is struggling to cope with whatever situation there is. And most clubs are very, very good at supporting players in that aspect now, aren't they? Because of course that's such a, a massive part of dealing with players and helping, helping players because of the pressures that they're under. But it is only a matter of time, I'm sure, before you know a player has to take an extended absence because of some of these situations we're talking about because of the pressure. Or a referee in football has to take an extended absence. Or a manager, you know, how long before a manager has to come out and say, you know, from a mental health perspective, I've just got to have some time um, away from it. You know, I, I don't, I think most managers would be reticent to say that most managers wouldn't want to do that because I think the problem nowadays of course is you would be labeled you know perhaps differently to to um to how you'd want to be perceived which is a shame because the pressures are building and the pressures are you know the for teams to we talked about sackings previously haven't we but for teams to get into those top echelons for fans to get their team into the top echelons of the league that they're in you know the pressure on managers and and um, and players is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Anything like the the LMA in terms of supporting managers, do they have kind of schemes available to you to be able to access should you feel things like that? Are you aware of those? Not that you've necessarily accessed them yourself because, you know, obviously you've done a lot of games. It doesn't mean you you, you don't see or hear or feel the the kind of negativity that might come your way, but... Are there those things in place for players or coaches to be able to access? Yeah, yeah. A lot of the organisations are fantastic. I mean, certainly from my perspective, um, the LMA are just incredibly supportive. You know, they are one of the organisations that, for me, you know, the work they do is is absolutely priceless. You know, supporting managers, supporting managers from all different angles, but they're very, very quick to be on the phone. I mean, I've had it, you know, when I left Millwall, that I've had two or three phone calls, you know, are you okay? How are you? How can we support you? You know, and often you don't need the help or you don't need the support, but it's nice to know that that people are there to try and help. Also, people won't see this, but, you know, I've left jobs before and I've had I've had experienced managers ring me. I mean, it's something I'd lo- I'm, I'm trying to do a little bit better is actually see myself as a more experienced manager and y- ring a younger manager if they'd lost a job because... Often you don't know how to cope. You don't know how to deal with it. If it's your first time being sacked, you know, you wake up the next morning and a bit of an empty feeling. It's a bit of like, what do I do next? You know, you feel a bit, feel a bit like you've let yourself down, your family down, you feel like you failed. You, it's it's half gonna, 10 and you should be on a training pitch. You should be on a training pitch. Yeah. yeah, we've all been in that yeah. situation where, you know, I've had, a, I've had an experienced manager ring me up and say, right, get yourself in the gym, you know, stop feeling sorry for yourself. And sometimes, maybe not in that way, but, it's actually been really, really helpful. So, so, but the organisations are, are, are very, very, very good. I mean, I don't think experience. I think experience gives you a better coping mechanism and and probably a little bit more balance on it. But, but I've had it, haven't I? You know, where 
you know, you're in a bad period, um, the fans start singing. And of course, let's say if it's an away game, two people start singing, suddenly a thousand people are singing because there's that tribal nature of, of football where all the fans start singing together. And if you're stood on the sideline, I can tell you firsthand, it's not a nice experience. It's not a particularly no. enjoyable experience. It's not something that you try to think too much about. But, you know, the impact of that, it, I think it drains it drains your energy, to, you know, thinking about it and trying to process it. And, and um, yeah, I think the older you get, you get better at dealing with it. But I don't think you can ever take away the fact that it's not a nice feeling. And, it, and it's happening more and more, isn't it? You know, managers lose two games in a row um, and they're getting, you know, the old sacked in the morning or, you know, whatever whatever that chant might be. Or or nearly every team now at home, you come in at halftime 1-0 down, regardless of how well you've played, nearly always you're getting booed off at halftime. It's kind of becoming the norm now a little bit. Yeah, it certainly is far more prevalent in the game now. Uh, I remember in my early kind of time, hearing a team getting booed off was... Really strange, you know. You had to be in a kind of bad place, a number of poor results or performances, and then they would creep into it. Now it can almost be, it can be done within, like as you say, minutes. You know, concede a goal late in the half, and that's it. You're getting booed off halftime, and it's not really fair on the protagonists who may have been putting in a decent performance. But um, m- maybe that's the thing, isn't it? You know, uh, the 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 momentary boo. The 30 seconds of a chant that's perceived by the people doing it just to be part of the pantomime of the game, which is fine when you're up in the stands, but when you're in the technical area and it's directed at you or, you know, even even as a manager, it'll be potentially aimed at you. But us as staff, you know, we, we all work towards the same goal. We're all trying to win. The, the players are on the bench, the players on the pitch. We all feel the kind of negativity towards the team and the the coaching. I was going to ask you that actually, like in those games where that's happened, how how have you felt on the sideline? You know, how, there must be a weird, a weird feeling on the sideline because I suppose, you know, when that negativity starts to creep in, you also know that your job's under threat or your job's under pressure. So how have you? How have you sort of observed those moments, and how's that made you feel? Well, I don't know about you, but you're. If you're a natural kind of fighter, you kind of want to prove people wrong. You want to say, we'll show you, you know, whether it's going to be in the second half or whether it's going to be the next game or whatever it is. You want to have a reaction towards it. But you also get into situations where, you know, like we don't really have much to come back with, you know, like we're potentially not a, a good team this season or we're in a bad run of form or whatever it might be or it's it's endemic it's set into this set of fans that they're not going to support in which case it's batten down the hatches and and try and get through it and hopefully something drops for you you know and you are obviously relying on the players to hopefully perform and get your results but that's not always within your within your gift because you know, you may be missing good players or your good players may not be in form and you're probably going into games sometimes thinking, probably similar to fans, like, you know, we don't really have a huge amount of expectation of getting a positive result, but maybe it will happen. And I think that's probably why you stay in the game, because there's always the chance that we will win. And we always want to kind of put that fight up. But once you start hearing it, 
and it's not fair. You know, it's it's just a, a natural reaction at the end of the game that now people will just final whistle goes, chuck out a little ten second boo. When twenty thousand people chug out a ten second boo, it's quite loud and it kind of cuts straight into your kind of your identity. Your ego is kind of affected by that, isn't it? And it's it's hard not to feel like this isn't fair, but you're also in the game, which isn't fair. You know, you don't always get the results you deserve. You don't get the performances you expect. But a lot of the time, you've got to get on with it. It doesn't mean, though, you should have to be subjected or that you can't rile up against that kind of unfairness. Yeah, I think there's that balance, isn't there? But like you, like you say, you're in an elite sport. You're in a competitive environment. That's why we all went into football in the first place because we love the game we're all passionate about the game and I think you understand that you know sometimes a chant is not necessarily everyone's opinion and it is a little bit of pantomime in the nicest possible way and like you say I think you know I've certainly done it a few times where it kind of makes you go and stand up the touchline and try and prove people wrong Uh, but there's also the flip side to that where as a manager you know sometimes you get to the you get to what you feel is the end and you can just feel it. And it gets to the point where actually as a person, you kind of think, just just get it over with. You know, you know the sack's coming. You know what's around the corner. And you almost feel like, just do it. And I can get on with my life. And, you know, and because and, and tr- it's not a nice position to be in. But, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see, be interesting to see how, if that's going to change or if that's going to, you know, get worse. But certainly, I think the more players, the more role models come out and, and express their opinions Me like like an Owen Farrell then potentially there's either going to be a lot more support for players a lot more understanding of it or it's going to become more frequent So, Gary, one of the most interesting parts of the whole week in a manager's life must be the joy, the rapture of delivering the post-match press conference or interview. What does that look like? How, how does that manifest itself for a manager having to know that you've got to stand there, sit there, whatever the case may be, in front of the press and give your thoughts on the performance the result? I think it's changed over time. I think if you look over time, you know, years gone by, I used to used to do the the presser afterwards, um, and it'd be about three or four local radios or whatever, and you get it all in one. And then as you move up through the levels, of course, you then go from doing your local press because they always want to be first. Oh, rather the, the the club website, they always want to be first, don't they? Of course. And they'll leave Sky hanging, which I always think is a, a dangerous game to play. But anyway, so other media outlets, other media outlets, yes. yeah, yeah. So then you get the main the main media, then you get the local press, then you go up and do the written press. So it's really interesting. But but sometimes after a game, you know, like most people, you've had a game or you've gone to. It's like I suppose it's like your fan goes to work or, or every no, like normal person goes to work and at the end of the day you go right finish work just want to go home and have a beer it's no different for a manager you know that's part of your job but essentially when a game finishes there's a little bit of you sometimes thinks just want to sit and have a lot of beer or just want to sit and have a glass and, and almost decompartmentalize or decompress, decompress or whatever whatever, <laughs> whatever the um whatever the the, the 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 word or the correct terminology is but actually 
you've then got about five minutes to think about the game. Of course, this is after speaking to the players. So, and then you've got about five minutes to think about the game. And then you've got to go out and do probably about 45 minutes of press now. And then telling the same story, telling the same story in as many different ways as you could possibly find entertaining. And, (laughs) and if you've lost a game, that ain't easy by the way, because you've got to try and find positives or you've got to try and be honest or whatever that is. And then often you'll come back in to your room and there'll be all the directors in there and you'd have to go through the old game again with them. And then you go home and everyone go, how did the game go? And you think, blimey, all I've done is talk about the game for the last six hours. So it can be a bit of a grind sometimes, especially when you've got midweekers and you're doing it all the time, all the time. Look, it's obviously part of the game. It's a key, it's a key component to it's a key component to, you know, sharing messages with players and and um telling the fans, you know, some of the key messages that you want to get out there and, and also just talking openly about how the game's gone, which is often just as bad as it is as good. I suppose after a good performance, a good result, easy press conferences, not so easy after something's gone wrong or even worse, there's there's something that you know is coming and it's going to be outed in a press conference and potentially put you on the spot. When you go and gain more and more experience, you've developed the techniques to be able to almost see the questions coming and you kind of know where maybe the interviewer is going to take you. Do you still get surprised by any of the questions that you get thrown? Uh, not if you've got a good press officer. I think if you've got a good press officer, usually what they'll do is they'll preempt some of the challenging ones that could come. And most <clears throat> most press officers now are, are pretty well-versed, or head of media, uh, as they'd be called now. So I'd be pretty well-versed. Directors in, of director communication. Of communica- I like this, Dave. Yeah, yeah it's another. Yeah, but do we do titles before? But well, that could We're be, definitely going to have to do titles. We're going to have to do titles, can't yeah. we? Um, but, but yeah, so I think often a good director of communications will preempt what's going to be said, will we'll give you some of the more challenging ones that could be said. I've had some really good advice over the years. When I first started at Burton, I remember at Burton, I was caretaker manager. We'd lost, I think, the second game 4-1 at Wimbledon. And I came in angry, went straight out and did the press, did the old classic. The players weren't fit enough and all of that. And and only when you look not back at that old truth. Not the old truth, but your most hated, your most hated comment by a manager. But I actually, I actually did it, and I looked back, and I realised, you know, how derogatory that was to the previous manager. And it wasn't my intention, but it's that frustration. Mine was more frustration rather than a tactical <laughs> saying it tactically, to, yeah, yeah. To, just because it's an easy you win. yourself as a it's an easy win of a new manager, yeah. and it's a, to to blame something that no one can really. Well, of course, really it was tactics. No, it's fitness. No. It was a head of performance. And you don't want to be throwing players under the bus. Yeah, for yeah. yeah. so, couple of games. Yeah, so I remember. Um, the Burton chairman, Ben Robertson, saying to me once, just just give yourself five minutes. Just give yourself five minutes to calm down. Think about what you're going to say and then go out there with a clear head. And if it takes you a little bit longer, wait. You know, and it was such a simple bit of advice, but such a great bit of advice. And I haven't always taken that advice on. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I'm sure we're going to go for a few moments. But, but yeah, you get some challenging parts after the games. And I think the biggest challenge for any manager is not what to say and how to say it. It's to try to come down from the game. It's try to, you know, see past those emotions because you always see it, don't you? A manager that's lost, a manager that's under pressure, and I've done it, they'll speak faster. They'll speak in a more agitated way. 
they'll you can see visibly they're under pressure. And I suppose it shows the, the amount of pressure that a modern day football manager is under because it's not an easy, you know, whatever anyone thinks, it's not an easy job. So, but you certainly see that coming out in the in the uh, in the press conference afterwards. And it's immediate now, isn't it? You know, it's practically live, if not live, that you're going to be essentially pulled straight into a booth by either a broadcaster or as you're walking off the pitch, you're almost being pulled into a press conference. You know, we need your live thoughts. Um, can't be easy that. I suppose those five minutes gives you a chance not only to collect your thoughts, but maybe use the likes of myself and analysts and that to get perspective on the big events. That like. How true is it that managers haven't seen the event that they're just about to be asked about? Mostly untrue. Yeah, I think <laughs> that's usually if you're not quite sure, if it's not quite clear and you don't, and you think it's going to be controversial. <clears throat> I think most managers, particularly if you've won the game, it's amazing how many times as a manager who's won hasn't quite seen the incident that went against the opposition. But tends that to always, that penalty. But tends to always <laughs> see his own events. But um, you know, when you don't get a penalty, oh yeah, it's clear. It's absolutely clear. And, Seen him and, twenty times. Yeah, and often again, the emotion after a game. Sometimes, and we've had it within the game where everyone's going, "It's a penalty! It's a penalty!" And you watch it back twenty minutes after the game, you go, it "Wasn't a penalty? What was everyone talking about?" But yet, that can be the narrative at times. I think. I think when you look at the press and you look at the order of events as a manager now, you have to think in different ways. So. I think probably if the game result looks like it's decided within about 10 minutes of the game, you're starting to maybe think about how you're going to talk about the game and what sort of things are important that you get that message across. I think when you go and see the players after the game straight away, there's always that little bit that you maybe can shape how the players saw the game or how the players felt about the game because often players will... You know, we'll, we'll say the same things that the managers say to them afterwards. And sometimes those messages are important to get the right ones across to the players. And and that sounds a little bit contrived, but but that is how you have to think at times. Then you've got to think about the press, you know, and, and, and sometimes the local press will be very, uh, rather the, the club website will be a very different message to the local press. You know, the, the club, the press lads at the club won't ask you controversial. They'll always try to shape it in a positive way for you. Yeah. So that, that one will be a lot easier to do. You then go and do, you know, some of the main media outlets and then the local press. Again, they're going to ask you different types of questions. So you're always trying to give a balance and a fair balance. I think I've always tried to do it in a way that I've always tried to be honest. Now, honesty doesn't always work for you in football, does it? Because <laughs> honesty can get construed as, yeah, construed as um, negative or construed as whatever. But I think sometimes, you know, if we if you don't play well, you haven't played well. Just say you haven't played well, you know, and, and some fans will appreciate it, honestly. Some fans will maybe see that and, and it'll work against you over the, over a long period of time. But it's easy to it's easy to go and just say what you think everyone wants to hear, isn't it? But again, I, I, over a period of time, I think that gets um, seen by people. So I think you just got to be yourself. And if you want to be a populist leader as such, you tell the people what they want to hear, don't you? And... You know, that might appease the people around the pitch, but it's not going to make our jobs and certainly your job as a manager during the week any easier, is it? Because you've got to face those players, you've got to face those coaches and be able to essentially back up what you said in the press conference. And if you've sent a message into the dressing room that be it the players aren't fit enough, they're not doing what they're supposed to, they're not delivering on their own abilities as they should see, it's great having 
the 20, 30, 40,000 around the pitch appeased. But it doesn't mean you're going to get a performance out of your players the following week, is it? No, and I think those messages are really important, aren't they? I mean, I I used to always think about, um, you know, if you think if you think about, um, you know, some of the little golden nuggets after games, you know, a sub's come on and scored and you know that that player's probably been unhappy not playing, you can over-embellish the importance of the substitutes and, and them coming on and it's a squad game and it's really important that all 22 players play their part. You know, there's some great opportunities to to almost reinforce things that you know could be an issue for you in the week. If a player's come on and played well, you know, you could, again, you know that player's probably coming to knock on your door on a Monday morning. So there's ways of intervening (laughs) within the press afterwards and and giving that player almost a little bit of, and rightly so, but giving that player a a little bit of praise, which I think is is also important. And, And I think sometimes you have an idea of that message. I've often felt, felt that, the, this might be unfair, but a British manager tends to be more emotional than the foreign manager. I think the, some of the foreign, whether it's a language barrier or the way that a lot of the foreign managers see the game, but often they just talk about the game. They just talk about the events in the game and and, and actually it's a really good way of dissecting or, or keeping away from the emotions where I think a lot of the British, not all, obviously, not everyone's the same, but a lot of the British managers tend to be speak more emotionally after a game. And I think actually, you know, if you look at most of the illuminating press conferences afterwards, a lot of the times, you know, it's a British manager, maybe just, you know, the emotions are high and, um, you know, you maybe said the wrong thing. I've done it myself, you know, when you... when you Kevin under- Keegan type moment. Yeah, but exactly, exactly yeah. that. And you can see that, you know, I've done it myself where I've been asked a question and you, you think to yourself, I'm sure that question is loaded but the question has been loaded up to get a response. Yeah. And rather than just let it go and see it, even though you know it's coming, you kind of can't help but have a little nibble. And of course, once you've done it, you know, that's 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 you done most of the time, isn't it? Or that's a slippery slope. So it's, a, you know, there's a lot of little traps that people can fall into in the press conference afterwards. There's a lot of managers that probably put themselves under a lot more pressure by the things they say. And there's obviously also managers that have bought themselves a lot more time because... They're brilliant um, talkers, and they're and they're very very strategic in the way that they they shape the game and they shape the force. One thing I've never done, I used to hate this when managers did this, and the certain managers used to do it. Is it blaming fitness? Is it blaming fitness? No. Who is it? Is it blaming fitness? No, it wasn't blaming fitness, but but um, no, that's 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 just your Only fallback. Ones. That's your fallback one if you can't get results as a new manager. Yeah. Um, no, the one it's opposition manager. If they didn't play particularly well, but they've beaten you, and they say we've completely dominated the game, and you look at it and you go, you know that's a lie. I know that's a lie, but you're just trying to shape the narrative around your team. And sometimes I think actually I have more respect for the managers that that would say, look, we got away with it a little bit today. We're a little bit yeah. fortunate. And and clearly you can see they're trying to take the pressure off um, someone in the same position as they are, someone they, they might know over the years and actually they don't want to add pressure to them. And I think that's a admirable quality for a lot of managers. I think the top, the best managers will give, will give credit where credit's due. And I think that's, that's um, the best way of doing it. Quick pivot into one of the more recent phenomenons that we've started to see, certainly in the US sport, but it's now creeping across the Atlantic, um, is 
this idea of players being interviewed immediately after the game on the pitch, broadcasters getting straight onto the grass, making a beeline for whichever player they feel is going to need to uh, to be spoken to. And now they're delivering a unfiltered message, essentially from their perspective. They've not had the manager speak after the game and give maybe a kind of flavor or, or, or kind of color to what the message is. Do you think that will pose a risk? You know, not only getting the wrong players and the wrong thing, but in terms of timing, you know, they could be out there for three or four minutes. You're back in the dressing room and maybe you want to be delivering your summation of the game really quick. Well, I think that's all. I think that's already started to come in. I think if you look over the years, <clears throat> different media outlets have, have toyed with. You know, I've seen some of the lower league games, uh, some of the conference coverage where a manager was interviewed midway through the first half. You know, or interviewed as a coming off at half time. We've seen the camp. You know, we've seen some of the documentaries, the the behind yeah. the scenes documentaries, which I think are great because it gives people that unique perspective in what goes on. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of control when it comes to what people see and how they see it. And I think some clubs have been very, very clever in the way that they've used that. Um, but I think it's happened more and more. And I think it's an expectation now of people to see that side of it. I, I think it won't be long before people are getting interviewed. Well, mind you, some of the, some of the dressing rooms we've worked in, that might be very dangerous <laughs> um, being interviewed live after a game. You know, there's a lot of naked bodies around and I, I'm sure. Well, we see that in the US sports, don't we? Like the, the, the press are in the dressing room after the game when the players are getting changed and they're being interviewed. It's a norm though, Baseball. isn't it? But it's a norm, yeah. isn't it? And, and, and I think again, you know, that, that, Behind that first for the behind the scene. I mean, listen, this is why we're doing this, isn't yeah, yeah. it? Because it's that unique perspective. And I think that's only going to get bigger. And it's only going to, you know, what happens in other sports often then starts to filter through <clears throat> into the lights of football. And, and um, yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be long before the door uh, of the dressing room is fully wide open and, and um, you know, the press are allowed in there at some point or some introduction to that you know what I mean because um, yeah that's what everyone wants to hear what about what we've seen now in cricket I think it's a big bash league in Australia where players on the pitch I know it's cricket it's a different pace of game but players are being interviewed while they're playing the game so like in between overs or as people are running up to bowl and they're getting live commentary from a captain or whatever player has been designated as (laughs) as the kind of communicator well I mean, initially, you would think that that would be impossible in football because it's a lot more of a fluid game. But actually, when you start to see some of these VAR pauses, you know, you're talking about five minutes at a time, aren't you? You're looking at, you know, some of the Premier League games five or six times being paused for three, four minutes. I suppose, actually, you know, would there be an opportunity? We'll start getting commercial breaks, won't we? We'll start getting down. You know, I've I've suggested we start getting... VAR sponsored by... Yeah, (laughs) VAR sponsored by whoever. (laughs) You know, and, you know, you look at the NBA, you know, they have a timeout and all dancers come on and there's entertainment during it. I mean, maybe that's going to have to be done within VAR to make it slightly more entertaining rather than sitting around (laughs) waiting for the wrong decision, usually. Um, The return of the hammerettes or whatever they were, the the, the kind of uh, dancers that we used to see back in the mid-90s. Yeah, so so I think, you know, there, there will be opportunities and I'm sure people are talking about how can we utilise these breaks? How can we, you know, make it a little bit more user-friendly for the fans and the fan experience? Because that's what it's about, isn't it? It's about the fan experience. So 
maybe we'll see it coming your way. So yeah, I mean, certainly in cricket, I mean, it'd have been interesting to mic up some of those games, some of those Ashes series as many moons ago, wouldn't it? With a, with a sledging yeah. and listen to the sledging live. <laughs> I mean, that, that would be absolutely beautiful, wouldn't it, to hear I, that? I, I think those stump cams have probably been censored <laughs> over the years because some of the stuff, certainly what's come out over the years, which has become folklore of what Merv Hughes might have been saying to certain players or whatever Brilliant. is is probably not to be repeated, but I suppose this is this is the media, isn't it? And this is certainly something as a manager that you have to deal with. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you'll say stuff after a game and on our side, when we're working with the players afterwards, whether we're doing a cool down or a, a session with the players haven't played as much, they're digesting what the managers just said. And now they know he's off telling the press probably exactly the same. I've often wanted to do it a different way. I mean, you know, I've I've always felt that straight after the game you have to go in and say something to the players. And I and I've heard and seen scenarios in the past where you lose a game, the manager doesn't go in, and the players are like, well, is the manager not even going to come in and speak to us? So so there's that yeah. expectation from the players that at least it's going to be addressed somehow. However, a lot of the top managers now don't go in after the game. They don't go in because what they'll say is, look, I want to digest the game. I'm not going to talk um, from an emotional point of view and say something I regret. I'm not, you know, I want to be able to digest the game, be a bit more objective and, and talk about it perhaps the next day. You know, a lot of those teams, they'll be in the next day for a cool down because they might have a um, European game in a week or a Premier League game in a week or whatever that is. Um, and therefore they'll be in anyway. So they'll use that time to probably have a review meeting like we would do, but but maybe not talk after. It's, it'd be interesting to see what the response from players would be in that circumstance because certainly from you know I'm sure your perspective as well you know there's that there's that feeling even among staff isn't there that the manager's going to say something afterwards good or bad and yeah we've all seen things I've said things after games and I've thought to myself I shouldn't have said that because it wasn't how the game worked out but you just do it from you know being a shaped shaped emotionally by the result often well I suppose that's that's the next topic that we can come to on this is like the content of what a manager says to players after a game because I've witnessed a fair few in my time and uh, I remember in one place uh, I decided to kind of hide kind of in the shower area because I knew the manager was going to absolutely rip the team apart but at that stage I was a little bit younger, I was a little bit more innocent. Hide scared as in scared no, no, hide? as in... I had this kind of reaction where I probably would end up laughing oh, because no. of the way the manager laugh. would, Yeah, nervous laughter because I knew certain players were going to get absolutely ripped apart. And look, I can't say all the players are always on your side all the time. So when some of them end up getting an absolute roasting, you're kind of internally going, yeah, give him more. <laughs> <laughs> That's for messing my warm-up up last week. Messing my yeah, warm-up. Messing it. my life up. <laughs> you, <go. laughs> you deserve it. Anyway, we'll come back to that another time. But yeah, nice on the press conferences. It's um, it's always fascinating to see, well, how, how do managers have to deal with that? Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please give us a like or subscribe to us on your chosen podcast provider. We look forward to seeing you on the next show.